Guys, I think sometimes we sing a song about our living hope. And I can feel, I can feel it in the room that it's like, yes, yes, because I need something now now for the reality of the pains in life that there is a hope there is a reason there is a purpose to all the pain that i'm going through and it feels so good to hear hear your voices singing and shouting legitimate praise because you believe and know that this life is not all there is this life is just the beginning that's going to fade away and end and then one day everything's going to break forth i'm going to have eternal life i'm going to be with the one who made us and there'll be no more tears no more crying no more sadness, no more pain anymore. We believe that, which is why we sing, which is why we sing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Father, thank you for Jesus giving up your only son, you pursuing us when we were running from you, you making a way when we did not deserve the way. You showing your loving kindness in the midst of the darkness. And you every single morning when we wake up, having brand new mercies for your people whom you love. God, thank you. Pray you'd help us this morning. I know the realities of life and the groanings of our body make it sometimes hard to rejoice in the truth. I pray you'd strengthen your church, those here and those watching. God, your name would be lifted high. For those who may not have the hope, a living hope, you'd activate faith in their heart to believe the one thing that matters more than everything else. And remind us again of how good you are. God, I pray this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. It's good to see brothers and sisters this morning. It's a, it's a special day because we're starting, we're starting something new. We're starting a new series and we're going to the book of James and there's a reason for that. We're starting a series called Real Faith. And, and if, if we could add something to it, we would say real life, real faith. We need real faith because real life hits us all the time. And today the message is entitled When Life Hurts. So if I were to ask you, when does life hurt? I bet some of us would probably say every single day. In some way or another, we are reminded or we experience the reality of the pain of life. And when I open scripture, do you know what I find? I find hope constantly for that pain that's actually doing something in our life. And we're going to see that this morning. But before we actually get into our scripture, I want to uh, introduce Wendy Hostetter to the stage. She's going to join us. We're going to sit down, and I want you to hear her story, her story about when life hurt the most for her and how God brought her through it. So, Wendy, come on up. Let's give Wendy a round of applause. Have a seat here. So we have about, we have about we're going to take about 25 minutes here, and I promise you, we could sit here, I promise you, for two hours two hours listening to this story, but, but we are going to do what we can in the amount of time that we have to help you understand uh, one of our sister's testimony here and how it's going to encourage us this morning. So uh, introduce, introduce yourself. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself who may not know you. I'm Wendy Hostetter. I am married to... Hi, Ari. <laughs> I'm married to Todd Hostetter. Um, 
we've been coming to this church for, I don't even know, 15 years or more. And Todd and I have been married for about 20 this May. And we have four sons. Um, I don't know all you want to know. <laughs> that's good. No, that's good. Okay. Wendy has uh, um, shared this story with some of you, her and Todd both. And I know some of you may not know it. So either if you know it or if you don't know it, that's okay. But Wendy, we are glad you're with us today. So we're going we're gonna to dive right in. Here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to... I want you to, I'm going to give you the mic, take about 10 minutes, and just bring us up to speed. Tell us, take us back many years ago, and tell us about the time in life when life really hurt for you. What happened? Bring us up to speed with it, and uh, we'll go from there, okay? Um, So I was raised in a Christian home, and my dad was a pastor, and went to, uh, when I graduated, went to Huntington College, which was our church-affiliated college in Indiana. And I met um, Dave Nicholson. Actually, first day was freshman orientation we met, and uh, we became fast friends. He was also a pastor's kid um, from Ontario, Canada, and uh, we had a lot in common. We just became really good friends. In fact, he was one of my best friends our first year, my freshman year. And then um, second year, we actually started dating and uh, we dated for a couple of years, and we knew we were God's gift to one another, and we were married, and we moved back to his home in Canada. We lived at Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and um, when we keep going, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and keep going, yeah. We, uh, went, we loved church. We were very much involved in our church um, family, We led a small group, we were um, youth directors, and um, he became a police officer, and we had three sons, Mitch, Reed, and Josh, and Reed and Josh go to church here. Our oldest son, Mitch, is um, back in Canada with his wife and three kids. What, What year did you guys get married? We got married in... 80... 89, I believe. Is that, yeah, I think that's what you I think told that's me. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. It's, yeah. hard to be, it's, it's okay. Yeah. So 89, and the process of having three boys, um, at the, the time that you're bringing us to, how old, how old were your boys? Um, nine, seven, and three. Okay. The boys were nine, seven, and three, and we were... Um, so Dave was a police officer in, se- in several divisions in the okay. police force. He was on the um, emergency response team, which is kind of like in, for the U.S. is like the SWAT team. Um, so he had all the gear and the guns and the whole nine yards. And then, um, but he was also on uh, the dive team. And that one I didn't worry very much about because mostly they were recovering um, like cars or vehicles that were abandoned like in the end under a pond or whatever they were used in a robbery or something and abandoned in a pond so i didn't worry too much about the dive team um but he just loved it he loved the guys he was very much involved in um, sharing his faith with the guys that he worked with in fact after he died i went through his journals some of them um and he just like constantly pouring his heart out to the lord and praying for these men in his life that um, they would come to know him, yeah. and yeah, 
even walking the beat, um, people knew him. They thought that he was their best friend. <laughs> so when he'd go in and get pizza at the same place or whatever. Yeah. So. I think uh, we're listening and we're hearing about Dave and we're hearing about um, someone who's not, who's not here. You've introduced the line of work he was in and you mentioned the dive team. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about what happened? So um, middle of August, August 12th, um, 1998, uh, the boys were at their we were at their little league football practice, and Dave's pager was way back in the pager days. His pager went off, so he went to um, get a, a payphone and find out what was going on. Called in, and he came back, and he said, um, "I need to go in. I'll call you later and let you know what's happening." So I took the boys home, uh, put them to bed, and then about he called and said that there was a 12-year-old boy who had jumped the fence in a restricted area and had gone swimming with his buddies in um, the, the top of a low head dam in the river in Cambridge. And um, the one boy had not resurfaced. He had, hmm. the uh, fire department had been in and searched for the boy and the, the police department had been up and down the river and they couldn't find him. So Dave called and said that he was gonna be the one to go in and um, do a search of the dam for the boy. And um, yeah, so I remember uh, about midnight, I'd put the boys to bed and fallen asleep when I was laying down with Josh, and who was three. And I heard um, a knock at the door, and I thought maybe Dave forgot his keys. So I went down, and um, there were two plainclothes officers in front, and I didn't know them. Plainclothes means they were high up in the division, and I didn't know them, but there was an officer standing behind them in uniform, and I knew him, he was a friend of ours, and I said the first things when I opened the door, I said, do we need to go to the hospital? And they said, can we come in and sit down? And I knew that this was, um, that time that all police officers' spouses worry about and are concerned about every day when their spouses go to work. So, and then it was uh, quite a while. It took three days basically to reroute the river because um, it was, I don't know, a low head dam is um, like low and the river kind of goes over it. There's several in Grand Rapids. If you go and you go over the bridge in Grand Rapids, you'll see several of the low head dams. The river goes over them. But this dam had sluice, water sluice uh, holes underneath the water that you couldn't see that uh, apparently the kids, there was rumor that the kids would go down and ride the river through these sluice and shoot them down the river. And um, so they were searching and Dave had several lines on him and he was sent in to go into the river and go on the top end of the dam so the river's going this way and he was on the top end and he was swimming along the bottom um, with all of his dive gear and ropes and one rope was for signaling and um, with his partner they had this whole thing figured out they trained all the time 
And he was swimming around uh, um, cement abutments, like um, barriers. So he was swimming around them and searching. And he, um, Curtis Rutt, his partner, believes that he signaled that he found the boy with the rope. And then the rope went taut, like tight. And um, they, they pulled and pulled, and they could not pull him out. And there, because of all the action on the river and the roads and downtown, and there were just hundreds of people hmm. all around watching this, and they got 100 people, they said, were trying to pull this line, and it, and it broke. Um, then they tried to put a boat in and go out and pull him up, out of that, and that didn't work because the boat was moving toward the river to go over the dam, and that's the killing water is down at the bottom of the dam, the other side. So they had to take, take, stop that. And then another rescue was trying to put a plate in front of the sluice, and they put video cameras down and saw that they were in there. Um, they ended up rerouting the river and putting sandbags in and then driving big trucks. And I, I think there is a picture of that, but they, drive, they drove big trucks in put a chain around the, the tree trunk and pulled it out and then the two bodies came with. Because there the was tree a tree, trunk. there was a, where he had got pulled in, there was pulling water. I remember when you told me there was pulling water that pulled him into, up against the dam into this embankment, but there was a, a big tree root that was yeah. basically what the issue blocking, was. Blocking, blocking the yeah. dam, the sluice, the hole in the dam at the bottom. How long did it take them to, to find uh, the boy in your um, well, the, the three days to reroute the river and putting the, okay. then the right away, they put the truck in and pulled the, the route out with the, the big chains and the trucks and, and, and both their bodies mm. came with them. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, as we, we start talking about life hurting, um, I think, I mean, we're all here, brothers and sisters with you, listening to your story. And there's not a single one of us that hears it and isn't holding our breath. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's a moment in life we all fear. So before I ask you some questions, I'm gonna ask you a little bit more questions because I want you to help us to understand some of the things that you went through. We have some pictures we wanna show you guys. So let's go ahead and bring the first one up and then you just kind of tell us whatever you want to about the, uh, the pictures we see here. So first of all, I give you permission to laugh at my big 80s bouffant hair. Um, but that's Dave and I at our wedding, obviously. You can see how much, if you know Josh, our son Josh, that's, yes, yeah, spitting image of his father right there. All right. And there is a, um, so Josh is the little one, and then Mitch, and Reed is with the bow tie. He was in the wedding, our niece's wedding. They're, they're just a little bit older. Um, I think Josh is two there. And then Reed at the front and Mitch at the back, our oldest. We're going to have to show everyone Josh because he look, Josh looks so much like his dad. It's not even, it's uncanny. So this picture was taken at an, our other niece's wedding. And this was um, pretty much, this was the, just a few months actually, just uh, maybe five months before Dave died. So that's how young the boys were. Um, and that's when... After, shortly after that picture, life was never the same. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is his graduation picture uh, in, in full dress uniform. This is the SWAT team, part of them. 
There were um, probably that many more as well, but the one on this far end, uh, I don't know, this side, is Curtis Rutt, and that was his um, partner hmm. that was on the line taking the signals. He gave a eulogy at Dave's funeral, and he's one that um, did not know the Lord. They went to police college together, and I remember telling Curtis after went to dinner to his house like several times. The brotherhood of police is amazing. I had no idea until after Dave died. These men are a brotherhood. Like they took care of us like nothing else. Um, well, the family of God as well. But um, yeah, the Curtis is one I told him he that I found his name all through Dave's journal praying for him to come to saving grace. So this is an, one of the articles um, that shows the dam and them working. You can see the, the truck that they brought in on the low end and how they were up putting, that's where they were putting cameras down on the other side to see what was going on in the dam. Yeah. Uh, this was um, the funeral the procession from the church to the graveside. And that's the Mark Gage on this side um, that went swimming and lost his life. Mm -hmm. And his family is the picture down below, his mom and dad, and there were six siblings. And um, Mark was actually the youngest, and he had a twin brother. Yeah. I know, uh, talk, I, I've had the privilege of getting to ask her almost any question I want, talk to her. This was a very long ordeal where this was in the news for a very long time, and kind of, kind of everyone knew the name uh, Wendy Nicholson, right? And you would, should find you found yourself getting some free coffees and stuff when you would <laughs> say who your orders were from. But just it sounds like the community really came around you guys and mm -hmm. loved on you and helped you. Um, so the next question I want to ask you is, and you can answer as honestly and as and as detailed or not as you want to, but I want Wendy to help us understand. Bring us into your world and help us understand what life was like after that. The, and particularly share the struggles. What, what were some of the things you found as a result of that, besides just the tragedy of losing your husband in the next few days and even year, just some of the, some of the struggles and the challenges you faced? So I get, at this part, I can get really lost in the details because so many details were really important to me that probably aren't to the rest of the world. So I give you permission to stop me sure. and ask me questions and all of that. So um, immediately after, I, um, for a long, like before they got him out of the river, had just really hung on to a hope. There was the rumor that the boys would, um, go down in these loose and find air bubbles and hang out in there. So I believed like when I put Reed to bed that night, he and I prayed for daddy's safety and for this boy and his family. And um, I believed that God loved me and would never let Dave die. Like that he was God's gift to us. He was my soulmate. And that he was such a blessing, our family, and what God was doing in our life. I just didn't believe that he would ever die. Um, so I, I just was really hanging on to a hope that he was down there fighting for his life, for fighting for us. And um, so I, 
the, the dam, too, they didn't show in the picture, but there were these buildings and um, we were able to camp out there and just stay all three days, all night. They brought cots in and food and took care of us and our family, all of our closest friends and family that were all kind of there together. Um, I didn't go outside, really, because I would need police escort to leave because the media would just mob us. So, um, but I remember one time, my dad was right there and I remember telling him my stomach hurt so bad. And my dad just put his arm around me and started to whisper in my ear who Dave was, who God is. And I just began to cry, like weep, like I hadn't yet. It was just kind of hanging on to that hope, I think. <laughs> it's okay. And uh, like I couldn't, my legs gave out that kind of weeping. Ah, sorry. Um. But when I did calm down, my dad said, um, how's that stomach ache? I said, it's better. Yes. It's better. So learning, just learning that uh, God is the one that's going to get us through and hold us together and placing those people in our life right at that right moment um, for each little step. So I remember another, like even at the dam when they, they finally came in and they said, uh, we did recover his body. And because of police protocol, they had to take, it to take him to Toronto and do autopsy and all of that. And they said, oh, no, I need to see him before you take him. I just, my mind couldn't make sense that it, this would be true. And um, so, thankfully, <laughs> they allowed us to go um, with, down to um, the hospital to see him yeah. and talk to the coroner. Mm -hmm. um, and when I walked in to the hospital, and all down the hall were all of his police officers, all of his, the ERU team, and the guys who had been down at the dam for three days, just exhausted. And they were all just standing at attention with these big, burly police officers with just tears just flowing on both sides, all the way down the hall to get to where Dave was. And, yeah. yeah, talk to the coroner. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. So, you lose your husband, but you don't just lose the husband, you lose the father to your three kids. When I talked with you, you were very honest, and you, don't, you can share whatever you want to, but you were very honest about even the struggles in your faith. Help, help us understand the, the real struggle of some of the things that were going through your mind as it pertains to your faith. Questionings with God, what were some of the, bring us into what some of your wrestlings were. Going through that and thinking about God being there with you or thinking about God in general and your faith, some of the confusion you went through, the struggles. <clears throat> well, at first, grief is very, um, is this 
most the strangest thing in the world. Um, but at first, you're kind of not, it's not really real. So, um, but as it slowly started to settle in on me, um, I, could, I could tell, I knew there were a lot of people praying. There were, people would come through and say, how can we be praying for you? And I said, pray that this binds us together and not blows us apart. Because hmm. I had three little boys grieving, lose, losing their dad. At first, that night, I remember like, how in the world do you tell a nine and a seven and a three-year-old that their dad just died? And um, I remember like, they're sleeping, nobody make a noise, and the house was just full of people all night long, and mm -hmm. that terror that someone's gonna wake them and then I have to tell them. Um, it was so good. Like, if I, when I look back, I see his footprint everywhere, like his handprints on everything. Yeah. Um, the wisdom to know what to say and how to answer uh, questions that they had and the grief that they struggled with and um, a different, like it was so different for all of us and yet here these are my children so I have my own grief and I feel like my cup is f so full like one drop and it's all gonna overflow and I remember telling some really close friends of mine they were both counselors I said I need to know that you're watching me really closely because you will need to admit me to a psych ward I cannot live without that man in my life and I just need to know that you're watching and that you'll get me in time and get me where I need to go. Mm, yeah. um, I was running like 90. I just thought, if I stop, I'm going to just cry and go to a place of darkness that I'm, I might never return. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly going, never wanting to stop and think for very long because I was terrified of that place I would go to. And you would uh, you'd cry in your dreams too, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, so everything was so public, and every time I went out, they knew people knew who I was, and they knew they were watching. And but my, it kind of felt like my tears were my only thing that was my own, hmm. and um, and I worked out a lot of grief in my sleep. I would wake up with my pillow was just soaked, and I was like cry, wake up sobbing. Um, I also had a lot of nightmares. I would wake up screaming yeah. and, and paralyzed. I couldn't get out of bed, um, just paralyzed. And my nine-year-old son would wake up with me screaming and come and sit on the edge of my bed until I fell back to sleep. Yeah. It's okay. There was a moment you told me when you were going through counseling and even the counselors were unsure how to help you or even people who were struggling with what you went through. Tell us about the one particular time where there was a woman who had lost her husband in the line of duty and you had gotten to go talk to her. So for um, in Ottawa, which is kind of like Washington DC for um, Canada, there were, uh, every year there still is a big memorial weekend and service for um, 
all peace and police officers killed in the line of duty in all of Canada. They meet there and there's, um, the second year that we were there, <clears throat> the counselors came, there's, the first night is the, for all kin of the peace and police officers to kind of be together and this is not Christian, so, um, the, but there were full of counselors all there to help if anyone wanted to talk to anybody. And the counselors came to get me and they said, there's a, a woman here who you should probably talk to. And I found out that her husband was a police officer who was in Toronto and a police officer in Toronto, and he was in his police car in um, a gas station area, and two um, prostitutes were around the area, and they came over and talked him into turning, taking his window down and to talk to them, and they ended up, both of them had knives, and they just stabbed him to death in his cruiser. And this was his wife was there at the memorial. And so I went over to talk to her. And I don't remember a whole lot of the conversation, but I remember her saying, um, you know, when, when death comes like that so suddenly, you can have a lot of regrets or things that you didn't say, unsaid things. And um, I praise God that Dave and I did not have that. Mm -hmm but this woman definitely did. And she's, she said to me, I, I think I just need to go talk to a medium and bring him back so I can talk to him and tell him the things I need to tell him. And I was like, I don't know what just <laughs> leapt out of me and I just grabbed her hands and I said, please don't do that. Like, I know the desperate um, desire for help and just wanna fix it and there just isn't help, and that would be the worst kind of help. Um, yeah. What would you say would be the best kind of help for you? Bring God into it. How did God get you through it? I know you shared with me, I mean, you did question God and struggle with like, hey, it was hard to trust him, right, because mm -hmm. of what had happened to you, but your description over time seemed to be like he never let you fall completely, though. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about God helping you through it all. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, as time went on, and you get through the numb and dismay, disbelief, and it starts to settle in the reality of it. Um, I remember feeling like a little girl having a huge temper tantrum, just kicking and screaming. How dare you? I said that to God. How dare you? Um, where were you? How could you let this happen? And I remember feeling like a little girl kicking and screaming and just having a huge temper tantrum. And my father God just picked me up and put me on his lap. I could literally feel his arms wrapped around me. And he just whispered in my ear, he didn't answer my why questions. He just whispered in my ear and he said, I'm not gonna let you go until you know how much I love you. Mm -hmm. And looking back, 
even when I still continued to not trust him and not want to believe that he was good, uh, I know that he carried us through the times when I couldn't walk. No. When you would uh, describe those moments of your cup being full, like one more drop, right? It was always like on the edge. I remember listen, you were, we were sent by a fire talking. Todd was there. He was helping fill in the, the gaps. And it sounded like you were saying you had these moments where it was like, I'm about to fall off the edge, whether it is, whether it was I'm struggling with my faith just to believe or what, just not make it. Then you described it seemed like God would always bring some type of timely word, mm-hmm. whether it would be a loved one or, or someone. Remember, uh, you told me a little bit about a time when you, you were in the room with someone who was um, sporadic, and they left the room, and someone else came in and said something to you because they heard the conversation um, in, a, in a pretty intense moment where someone else who was struggling with something and said that their pain was worse than yours. Remember that? Yeah. And you don't have to tell details, but it, you, you can share that as much as you want to, uh, but help us understand what it was like to have someone come in afterwards and say timely words to you, mm-hmm. how that was powerful. Um, well, the one that you're talking about is um, a man that had been in our small group and Dave was really sharing the Lord with him and, and he came in and basically, I think he was really angry. Um, life, his hurts that he was dealing with. And I think he kind of wanted an apology from me that Dave didn't rescue him or that mm. um, from his hurt. And I was just, this was right after Dave died and he was telling me it's worse for me than it is for you. And that very well may have been true, <laughs> but not what I wanted to hear at the sure. time. Um, so, but when he left, there was a, a good friend of ours that I, um, he was doing some um, handyman work in our house, and he had overheard the entire conversation. And um, when this, this other man left, he came in and just, I was a mess. I just fell apart. Um, I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he just was there and came in and just wrapped his arms around me and um, he just said, that, those are lies from Satan, that is not true, don't believe them, and he just began to pray for me. Um, so just like that, and another time I had been on the phone, I think talking financial things, um, and it was a mess again. I hung up the phone and I was just one of those where you're just like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not, just right on the edge of not being okay, and um, my brother-in-law came in to check if there was enough salt in the water softener or something, and um, found me a mess, and just, again, wrapped me up in his arms, and big brother arms, and just started to pray, and this is a man who I only heard him pray for dinner, Hmm. so that was a pretty powerful thing, too. God's good at bringing what we need in the right time. Mm That's that's just a couple. There's so many. Um, So you keep saying looking back, looking back. Mm. Here we are now many years later, and we know Wendy. It's hard not ever see her with a smile on her face. You talk about the grief and the pain uh, in in a very past tense type thing. The tears still come now, but there seems to be 
obvious joy in your life and a, and a faith that seems to be unwavering. So it, it's evident to us your faith remained. God kept you through it, which I think is a lot of what we're gonna talk about here in a second. But what would you personally say to all of us? Because when does life hurt? It, it hurts for all of us in one way or another. And when it comes to losing people we love, we're all experiencing that in some way or another in our life. We all eventually experience uh, a similar type of pain. Imagine there's someone out here hurting and in the middle of a trial with a lot of the questions and able to relate to some of the pain you were describing. What would you say to them right now? Um, so you had asked me before too, if you could go back and tell, talk to yourself hmm. after, what would you say? And I, I really thought about that after we talked and it's probably the same thing I would say to anybody who's really struggling right now, is don't forget, don't lose focus of what's really happening. Because grief is really very self-focused um, and all-encompassing, and it, you definitely feel like that wave in the storm, right, being tossed and there's times when you feel pretty solid and it's okay, and then other times when you're, you're gonna drown, like you're just not gonna make it. And that's the same with the doubt. It's the same, God says, don't be that wave tossed to and fro. When you pray and you ask for wisdom, don't doubt when you're asking that from God because he is good. And so don't lose focus on that God truly is good yeah. and only has good for you. And don't ever doubt that and, and do ask for wisdom because it's only his wisdom that's gonna get you through that. Yeah. And then remember, remember that it is not about you. God calls us to take up our cross and all of us have our own cross, I don't know what yours is, but I'm pretty sure it involves suffering because that's where we identify with Christ is in our suffering and walking through and with that endurance and gaining the patience and endurance that we need to test our faith that we can then stand strong and stand firm and be able to look back and say, I would not wish that on my worst enemy to walk through that, but I'm so thankful that God did me, did walk me through that, that he did carry me through yeah. that, because where we can stand today and look ahead at the next thing that's coming and know that God is good and only has good for you. Church, that's powerful coming from someone who's just told, talked about the type of pain they've gone through. When you say those type of things, your brothers and sisters are listening. Here's, here's one of the things I shared with you this morning that I think about with this. Peter was gonna deny the Lord, he didn't know it, and Jesus said, I've prayed for you because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, and when you've gone through it, he says, strengthen the brothers. And then when Jesus comes back after he's resurrected, he tells Peter to feed his sheep. And I see the same 
providential purpose of even your pain, how you're here now, many years later, strengthening brothers and sisters. And what a privilege that is. And we're very thankful for it. Now listen, here's what I know. Guys, the story is only beginning here. There is a to be continued that is coming. Corey and I have talked. We want to do a full God at Work story and video with Wendy and Todd. So just real quick, if you don't know it, uh, Wendy and Todd came together not long after Dave died. Todd's wife passed away in a car accident. And the story of God bringing them together and even them being here at our church is a wonderful, wonderful story. And I think of 2 Corinthians 1 that says God comforts you, us, and then he uses the comfort he's given us to turn around and give comfort to the others. I don't think I've told this to you and Todd, but several times in my life when I've been in anxious, fearful moments and I've thought about potential tragedies happen, right? Because we have lots to lose in life, family. The thought has gone through my head when I've had those anxious moments, well, at least I have Todd and Wendy that will be there to help me. And God uses you two miraculously. There's no telling what he's done throughout the years of this testimony and what he continues to do through it. And so I'm very thankful for you two guys. And uh, I know your church and those watching are very thankful as well. So could we do this? Could we give her a round of applause for being brave, sharing her story? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna let her sit down and then I wanna share some scripture with us, okay? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for Wendy. Thank you for um, giving her the strength to just get up, sit on a stage, and share her story and her pain. Um, just a small part of it. There's so much more we could talk about. But I pray what has already been said would go forth in the hearts and the minds of those listening. And that, God, you would even bring to full effect, or even right now, showing, showing Wendy, why did I go through that? Part of that is those who are listening now who may feel like they're on the edge are gonna find hope and encouragement through the endurance of others. God, I pray that you do this, and I pray it all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. How do you get up and preach and talk about God's word after that? So I'm gonna give you an outline, and we're gonna talk normally. The reason I wanted Wendy to come up and share her story is because as we get into the book of James, and as we especially get into these first few verses, there's potentially something that is cliche in our hearts about what we're going to hear. Sometimes you get up and you read scripture and the, the help for the moment can be sandpaper. And this first ver one of the first verses we're gonna get into, I, I, told, I asked Wendy, I said, what if this verse was told to you in the moment? She's like, it's the last thing that I would wanna hear is some of these verses. And so what I thought would be good was like, hey, let's see real life, real trials, as we get into James chapter one, see an example of it. So then we open the word, we can tailor what we're hearing with the reality of life and the way we go through. Because a lot of times the experience of life is messier messier than just the simplicity sometimes of what we read in scripture. Always true, absolutely there, but we need to remember what's going on and what life is like and how God works over time in our life. We're gonna be in the book of James. We're talking about real faith. Wendy has just displayed real faith to us because she has shown us a faith that has remained through the hardship. So we have an example of someone here who is able to display through the hardship, her faith is genuine because she's come through the trial and continuing to go through other trials, keeping her faith in the Lord, proclaiming his goodness even with tears in her eyes. 
This is the goal for all of us, and this is what God is doing in our life. So when life hurts, real faith shines the brightest. When life hurts, real faith shines the brightest. And then I want you to see this as we get into James. I want you to see this, that how you respond to pain determines the type of faith that you have. How you respond to trials will determine the type of faith that you have. And the book of James comes along, kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. The book of James comes along as the, the, the Proverbs or the reality that, hey, if faith is the most important thing that we have, if at the end of our life when we're stripped of everything that is temporal, the only thing that we have is our faith and our belief in God, and if faith is the only thing that can please God, it is impossible to please God without faith. If faith is that important, if the, if the collective nature of Scripture is God saying, believe in me trust me I'm doing all of these things showing you all of these things allowing all of these things so you will know who I am and believe Jesus comes on the scene and the people ask him what are the works we must be doing to be doing the uh, the works of the kingdom and Jesus says here's the work you must do believe on the one whom he sent faith is extremely important James comes along to say, hey, if faith is that important, we want to make sure it's real in our own life. And the whole book of James is like this test. It's this test that's given to the church. It's given to believers so we could test to see, you know what, our faith is genuine. And to, know, to even know what to think, even to know how to go through some of these hard moments. So when life hurts, real faith does a few things. James chapter 1 Starting in verse one, it says this, James, a servant of God, we know this to be the half-brother of Jesus, not the disciple James, but the half-brother of Jesus who was a great leader in the Jerusalem church, and this is known to be probably the earliest and first New Testament letter ever written. So think about this, we're, right, we're potentially reading the, the, the earliest first New Testament writing. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know when Jesus went to his hometown, he was not accepted by his family. But eventually, the half-brother of Jesus came around and became a great disciple for the Lord. And he refers to his half-brother as Lord, not brother. And he says this, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. You think of the word disperse, the churches the Jerusalem synagogue, the, the collective churches that were all over the place in the known world at that time, the dispersed churches. He writes this letter and it goes out. And so James is writing a letter. He's probably thinking to his Jewish brothers, at the end of the day, what matters? What do they need to hear? What can I write to help them? Faith is extremely important and there's a lot of fake self-deception out there. We wanna make sure always to make sure we're on the Lord's side, that he knows us, that we know him. And the book of James is really going to, it's going to step on toes a little bit. It's going to make us uncomfortable. We have to be willing to talk about the hard things, to accept the way life is, to hear the real things, because what matters is to know and have the confidence that our faith is real. And so he writes, and he's going to talk immediately about when life hurts. So look what he says here in verse 2 through 4. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When life hurts church, real faith sees a reason for joy. Look what it says there in verse two. Count it all joy. Another word for count would be consider. It means there's this mental assessment. There's something that's happening in your mind when you're going through, he says, various trials. He's basically saying all of life. Any experience that would come up against you that would cause you to maybe want to give up on your faith or anything that would cause you to take your eyes off God, whatever it may, it doesn't necessarily have to be hard. Sometimes a trial can be a, can be a moment of life where we're experiencing pleasure, but that pleasure is distracting us and we're taking our eyes off the Lord. We're, we're starting to fall in love with the world and so God brings a trial because trials have many reasons and one of the reasons is to remind us that, man, you can't love this world. I'm gonna always remind you of how unsatisfactory this world will be. One of the reasons God brings trials is so we'll know that he satisfies, not the world. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now this is the type of statement. This is the type of statement that even as I was studying this, I'm like, man, come on. When I'm in a trial, the last thing I wanna hear is be happy. But then I remember, that's not exact, that's not at all what he's saying here. He's not saying be happy. He's saying there's something mentally that I have to remember in the moment because what are we tempted to say when life hurts? Why is this happening? Where are you, God? What is going on? I shouldn't be going through this. God, if you're good, this. If not, what is it? And here's what I know. We're all going through trials at different times, different areas of life. Teenagers are going through their own trials. Young adults are going through things. Married couples are going through trials. People with children are going through trials. People who are single who are going through trials. People who have health problems. There's plenty of trials. And that's not to mention just the trials of life going on around us in our culture, in our society, in the world itself. Not to mention the trials of just nature itself seemingly dangerous. All over the place, there's the potential for hardship. And you know what I hear a lot of times When I get up and open the word, it's like, I wanna talk about things that will pump me up and make me feel better. Why do we gotta always take time to talk about trials, talk about hardship, talk about suffering? Because when I open scripture, you know what I can't get away from is those two things. And do you know what I can't get away from when I interact with you and with people in the world? It's the pains of life. So God shows up and he says, you know, I'm gonna give you strength and I'm gonna give you hope and I'm gonna give you something in my word and I'm gonna show you how to get through all of this. First of all, I'm gonna give you hope that's everlasting. So when you're going through a trial, whatever it may be, the first thing, the first thing that real faith does, it's, it has the perspective where it knows that it's not pointless. There's a reason for joy in it. Knowing there's purpose in it. I asked Wendy, what would it be like if you're going through what you were going through but you didn't believe in God. And there was, there, was, there was nothing but blackness when you looked at the stars at night. And life was pointless. It was like she didn't even want to think about that because she knew the, the, the weight of the grief in a hopeless, pointless life would be overwhelming. And the Bible does say that. The Bible says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. You see, God comes along and he brings hope and he brings purpose to our pain. 
We're told in Scripture that all things work together for good to those who love God and call it according to his purpose. The issue is, do you believe it? He's saying in the moment here, it's not like this pick yourself up by the bootstraps. It's mentally assess the situation. Are you looking at what you're going through right now and you're saying this is pointless? If you know Jesus, know it is not. And even if you don't see it now, you give it time. You know and you believe and you trust that when Scripture tells you that God is doing something and it's not purposeless, it's not pointless, like God is there and you have a reason for joy. And he's going to elucidate it as we go on. So first, real faith sees a reason for joy. Secondly, this. He says this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Real faith sees the pattern of God's testing. It's like, it's like James is writing to these Jewish believers, and he's like, you know. Hey, hey, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because you know through your history, how God acts. God is constantly testing his people. Whether it be in the garden with the tree, whether it be with Abraham when he has to go and sacrifice his only son and God provides at the end of it all the while he's trusting him. And whether it be Joseph going through slavery, going through hardship, going through his brothers, throwing him into prison, facing all of these trials. And what do you see Joseph faithfully going through it? If we could sit here and talk to Joseph, do you know what we'd find out? We'd find out probably the questions he had, the frustrations he had, the lone and dark, lonely nights that he had. Sometimes you just read scripture and all you hear are the highlights and you think, wow, man, these people, they, didn't hurt. they went through all of these problems in a rock solid attitude and probably never struggled. No, baloney. Real life, real faith, real pain, real hurt, real suffering. But God's pattern of testing can be found through the people whom he loves and whom he's called. What did he do with the Israelites in the wilderness? He took them out there to test them. Purposefully took them and put them in the wilderness for 40 years when they were only two weeks away from the promised land. And they remained there 40 years because what was God doing? He was testing them. You know, you're, you're, you're following out me out here, but do you really believe that I am who I say I am and that I will take care of you and I will provide every need possible? And the people in the wilderness failed the test. And that's when the book of Hebrews comes in and says, beware lest any of you with an unbelieving heart fail to enter the rest of God. And so testing comes along. There's a proverb that says that the, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The book of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to a bunch of hurting Christians, and he said this. He tells them all the good things about being a Christian. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, it's like, it's like man, if faith is so important, then God, what are you gonna give me to make sure that as I'm living through this life, is there anything you can give me for me to know, to have the confidence and to know that I'm yours? Yes, I believe, but I'm gonna read through the book of James and I don't want it to just be words. Is it genuine, God? Give me that confidence. He says, okay, I will. I will. One of the things I'll do is I'll allow two things in your life. I'll allow, I'll allow the temptation and the care for the world to come in. And then I'm gonna allow the sun to beat down 
and trials to come in. And guess what? If you can reject the world and if you can endure through any trial that I bring your way or allow your way and you still love me and believe in me, you can know your faith is genuine. And then Jesus comes along with a parable. He talks about four soils. He says there's one soil, enemy snatches it away. They hear the word of God, they don't believe at all. There's no faith there. But then there's two of three that believe initially. One soil falls on the rocky path, does it not? And the roots take in and there's belief and joy initially. But when the sun comes up and it scorches the ground, the plant dies because its roots weren't deep enough. And then there's another soil that the thorns come up because it falls along the path and the thorns, the thorns come up and choke out the plant and it doesn't yield any fruit, right? The, the thorns represent the cares of this world. The person that believes initially, but as soon as, soon as they, time is given, it wells up in their heart what they really want. I want the life the world offers. And so they leave Jesus because the cares of the world. And the ones where the sun comes down and beats on it, it's the trials, it's the hardship, it's the sufferings of life. It's like, I can't do this anymore, I'm done with God. And they leave. And Jesus says, you know the good soil because the good soil produces fruit. It produces fruit through all of it. So what is God gonna give us? Why is it we can rejoice, count it a joyful thing? Because it's like, no, when I'm going through something hard, every little trial that I'm always making it through, looking to God and trusting him and coming through at the end of it, passing the test, still saying he is the Savior, Lord and Savior. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Nothing's gonna come to me, though there's tears in these eyes, though there's a pain in the stomach, though there's the pain and the suffering of life, and I feel beaten up, and sometimes I feel like I'm on the edge and I'm gonna fall off. God, you're still good. God, you're still good. You're still God. You're still Jesus. You still died. You still rose. You can count that joy. That's a sign. God has given you something right now to know that when you pass away and you have nothing left, everything in earth has been left behind and you take nothing with you but your confession and you stand before God like Hebrew says, is appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment. You stand before God. He looks at you. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're able to face that day where you're going to pass away because you can look through the history of your life and see trial after trial where people gave up, but you didn't. And you say, man, I'm glad for that trial. And God gave me, he gave me that assurance that I was his. And he was with me through it all. And though I felt like a three-year-old kid kicking and screaming, he just had those moments where he supernaturally took me into his chest and he just held me. Held me. You see, real faith sees the pattern of testing. Testing. Faith endures, which is what happens with the test. Real faith sees that the test produces something that's necessary. The test produces patience or steadfastness, this verse says. It says this, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and he says this, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Real faith sees to it that patience wins. You see, this is the component that we need when we're going through trials. And, and the knowing and the reality of the testing of trials 
produces something in us. It produces the patience we need to get this, go through the trial, not get out of it. That's what we want. We want to get out of it. God's saying, no, I'm trying to do something in your heart to help you get through it. The only way out is through. And you can be sure of this. If you're, if you're relying on the Lord, if your faith is real, the testing of your faith will, pro- faith will produce patience, steadfastness. It's, it's feet that are even more firmly planted that will not be moved. If the faith is fake, when trials come, your footing will be deteriorated and eventually you'll give up and you will leave God. You all know, find it very interesting when you read uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says to him, he knows he's about to die, he's at the end of his life, and he says to him, the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought the good fight, and he says this, I have kept the faith. He says, now therefore there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, but not only to me, but also to all of those who love his appearing. It's like even Paul knew he, he's like he knew he was God's, but at the end of his life, he really knew it because he's like, wow, I've kept the faith. This is the ultimate goal. And every experience in life you're going up to is working something in your heart that's trying to pull you away from God. That's what the enemy's trying to do. Every trial you're going through, the enemy is either trying to use it to pull your heart and your mind away from the reality of what you believe about Jesus. That is what's at stake. And if you reveal in the midst of the hardest times of life, you say, I'm done, and you walk away, you've just failed the test. Because guess what? You walk away from God. Guess what is still true about life? It's still hard. You've just walked into the abyss of darkness, and you said, I want to go through it alone. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus even prayed in John 17, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Suffering's necessary, pain is going to happen, and don't believe the lie of the enemy that you need to give up on God or somehow he's given up on you and somehow the answer is to walk away from him, like somehow life will be easier without him. Guys, God is with us through everything. That's the last thing we wanna do, but that's what's brewing in our heart if we're not careful. Real faith sees to it that patience wins, which means I've got to go through this. I know God's doing something. I feel weak, but he is strong, and so I'm gonna keep looking through him through all of it, and eventually God's gonna give me hindsight to have the moments of life where I'm looking back, seeing things more clearly, being used by God to comfort and strengthen the church seeing the reason of joy for it in it all. And then finally this, look at this, real faith sees what's really going on behind the scenes, the point of it all. Spiritual growth, growth. One of our pillars is spiritual growth. Paul said, I wanna, I wanna present every person mature. Look what he says here, let patient, patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That does not mean perfect as in you never do anything wrong. It's the word for maturity. God has given all of us a destiny. Do you know what that destiny is according to scripture? You have been predestined. That means there was something that God intended for you and made the fate and the destiny of your life before the universe was even created. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to think about the life of Jesus on earth and what impact that had. All of those who follow Jesus, God is trying to turn us into that same image. 
Turn us away from the fallen image we're all born into and create a new creation of Jesus on earth. And he does that through us. That is our destiny, to be conformed to the image of a son. And what's the number one way? What's one of the main ways that God conforms us to the image of a son? He allows trials to come in. And trials, when it's, when it's had its work in our life, and we let patience work, it says that you, you will be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. It's implication that we're incomplete right now, right? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, like right now in these bodies, we groan. He says our earthly tent, very tem- these bodies, a temporary dwelling, but there's groaning in these bodies. There's incompleteness and we feel it every day. We're frustrated by our, our lacking and we know something's missing, but God is the one who is filling it up. He is the one who is bringing us to completeness. And Romans 8 tells us that he will ultimately glorify us. That means we will shed these earthly painful bodies, we'll be given new ones, and we will have perfect, complete bodies. First Corinthians tells us that right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, we will know him as we're fully known. What a glorious day, a living hope and a promise and a hope to us that no matter what we go through, something better is coming and a hope through it right now. Real faith sees what's really going on. It keeps the purpose in mind. It keeps its eyes on the summit. It realizing that God is using this. I must grow into the image of son. It's what I'm made for. It's what I'm left here for. And one of the ways God's gonna do that is he's gonna bring trials in. And so God, I'm gonna let you work. I'm gonna let you have your work in my life. Use me, mold me, make me who you want me to be. And real faith will grow. You know, I, I bet we could ask Todd and Wendy, is there much you could experience on the life that would rock your faith? I'm kind of speaking for them, but I imagine after going through some of the pain they've went through, they would say, nah. And now I bet I could spend time asking many of you, especially if you have experience in your life, you could tell us stories that maybe some of us don't even know, pains that probably no one knows, and you still come here and you lift your hands up and you love Jesus and you give him your all. And the enemy's trying to discourage you to say, you aren't his, let me tell you something. If, at the, if, af, if after time has happened in your life, you love Jesus more, nothing can rock it. You know that matter, no matter what, Jesus is the savior and the one who rose from the dead. You don't listen to those lies. You have nothing but evidence in your life that you have real faith and you're about to see the one who died for you. Let's pass the test, church. Many trials going on right now. There's a reason to be thankful for them. I want to read you just a couple verses and then I'm done. I'm going to go back right here to 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what he says Peter says this. He says, Resist him, the devil, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to read you another verse in the book of Romans. Romans chapter five, and I'm gonna go to verse three. Romans five, 
He says this, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, here's what Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How could he say that? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, ha he, who has been given to us. I wanna talk to the person who may not know God. Maybe you're on the verge, maybe you're slipping away. Maybe your, your experience in life, you don't know what, you're not telling anyone and you're hurting right now. Let me tell you this. God can sympathize with your pain and he is with you. You look to him always and he will bring you through it. He's wanting to do a wonderful work in your life. Maybe this, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, maybe you're listening and you're like, I know, I do not know Jesus. If I die now, I stand before him. Man, I, I don't have real faith because I don't, I don't really want God. And I know if that would happen to me, I'd just give up. There's nothing in you you have to awaken. Nothing powerful or some type of work inside yourself you have to awaken. You just run to the arms of God who gave his only son for you, who has done all the work, the one who is powerful himself when you're not, who's strong when you're weak, and you ask him to save you and to forgive you and keep you, and you believe that if you ask him that, he will do that. Why? Because he tells you he will do that. When life hurts, church, real faith shines the brightest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience over us. Thank you for brothers and sisters who are willing to tell their story to help encourage and bring the strength that we may need. And I know there's someone here, maybe it's all of us, who just, we just needed to hear this. God, work in our heart and make us the people who are unconcerned with the things of the world, but people who wanna see you lifted high. Set our hearts on you, God. Set our hearts on you. You are worth everything. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up before we leave today. Wow, what a morning. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks, Jasper, for bringing our hearts and our attention back to the truth of God's word, what to do when life hurts. So we're going to leave this place singing these words, I have set my heart upon you, God. And I believe as we sing these words, he's going to receive that and he's going to work powerfully in you to bring you great hope and most importantly, to awaken your hearts to how great he is.
says it this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever, not when, because what God is saying in that is they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep coming. Like Wendy and I would love to be able to stand up here and say the fairy tale started after great hardship that we both walked through. But you know what? It didn't. It didn't. Listen, Disney, they're liars. The, white, the, the, the guy on the white horse doesn't come charging in and save the day. The Lord has brought us through so much. And he proves himself faithful every single time. And I praise God for every trial. Because when you can look back and you can see, you know, all right, he's proven himself faithful. Church. Church, let's, let's remain strong in our faith and our relationship with the Lord. Right now, if yours is shaken, come on down. I'd love to talk to you. Jasper would love to talk to you, one of the elders. Uh, we'd, we'd love to walk you through that. Know this, church, you are loved, and we'll see you next week as we continue on in James.